And I just want to tell you that, you know, no matter where you are in your marriage relationship, and we saw that timeline from sort of the beginning to old age, it doesn't matter what stage you're in, uh, in your marriage, God has a redemptive plan for your relationship. He has a plan to rescue it, to fix it, and to make it better. And I tell you what, no matter how healthy you think uh, your marriage is or how um, unhealthy you think it is, God has a way of intervening and making things better. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for making my life better. Um, it's one of the wonderful things that we have as Christians is the hope in a God who's able to rescue us, who's able to redeem our brokenness and make us way better than we could ever possibly be on our own. So, and look, I just want to tell you that I have hope for your relationship. I have hope for your marriage. I have hope and I believe for great things for your future, for those who are not married yet, for your future relationships, that God has somebody for you in Jesus' name, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has a plan and a purpose for your marriage and it always speaks life. He always speaks life. He always speaks life. He never speaks despair or um, you know, hopelessness. He speaks life into every single relationship that's here today in Jesus' name. Well, I've, uh, I have enjoyed this, uh, this series and we're into our final week today, which has been titled Multiple Choice Marriage. You have a choice. You have a choice. So in week one, we asked the question, is it possible... We talked about the movie Juno, and she asked this question, is it possible for two people to stay in love? Not just be married for life, but to actually stay in love and have that kind of romantic ideal that we all are hardwired to believe is true. And we came to the conclusion that we needed to make love a verb. We need to make love a verb. It has to be actioned in some way. And last week, um, Beck preached so well, as she always does, and uh, she shared a lot about Brad, um, and we found out a lot about his habits. But uh, we, we love you, Brad, if you're here today, and we love you back too, of course. Um, but one of the verses that really stood out for me last week was um, the story that Jesus told was about we're so adept, aren't we, at identifying the speck in our brother or our sister's eye. We're so good at that. We've got just... Awesome vision. We've got eagle vision for our spouse or our friend's faults and failings. Um, Jesus said, don't worry about the speck. How about the log that you've got in your own eye? How about dealing with your own thing? And then you can talk about the speck. And I thought that was really good advice. So uh, in that theme, we're going to continue looking about what's our responsibility in our marriage relationship. We're going to talk about a decision that we make, that everyone who is in love in a married relationship makes this decision. If you're in love, when you first sort of fall in love with somebody or in that sort of honeymoon phase, you do it without thinking. It's automatic. But as time goes by, um, you need to make sure that it, it stays automatic. It, it stays that choice that you continue to make. But I want to reiterate that it, this is about a choice that we make. It's not something that's against your will. It's something that you have a choice about. So we're going to be looking at this uh, verse. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And you've probably had this uh, Bible verse quoted to you on your, on your wedding day. Um, it's pretty much the go-to marriage uh, verse of the Bible. 
And so you, many of you have heard this many, many times before. So please don't tune out as I go through this. And a lot of it make, will make sense to you, but there is a part of it which is almost like, nah, that's not possible. That's too hard. That can't be achieved. Um, but let's start out with um, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13. And this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Remember that time? Five years ago to the day, remember we were driving home. Sometimes we get so good, don't we, at uh, remembering events, remembering injustices done. But love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And then he goes into verse 7 and he uses the same word four, four different times in a different context. And he says this, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Now that's hard to swallow sometimes, this word always. It always. It's not sometimes. It's not sometimes when I feel right about the world or if I feel good about it, but it always loves. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Man, that's hard. Is, is it even possible to always? Is it possible to always? Now, in every relationship, there's these two things. We've got expectations over here in our relationship. I have expectations. And over on this side, I've got behavior. And in the middle is this gap. I've got my expectations over here, and I've got my behavior over here. In every relationship, there's no such thing as no gap between these two things. We've got my expectations. When I got into this relationship, I expected that I would receive flowers every day when he came back from work. When I got married, I expected that we would have sex every day and twice on Sundays. When I first got married, I expected that he'd come home and we'd just talk and look into each other's eyes until the sun came up every, every day. These are my expectations. When I first got married, I expected that I would come home from work and the kids would be safely tucked up in bed and there'd be a hot meal sitting for me at the table. That was my expectation. <laughs> I did okay. Maybe it's uh, expectations because you've agreed to, to do something together. You know, you've agreed. So you said to me that you'd be home by half past four in the afternoon to look after the kids. This is my expectation, but it's not met. Now, in every relationship, there's this gap between what we said, what we agreed, what we thought was going to happen, and over here, what actually does happen. There's a space. Now in this gap, we've got it on the screen here, between my expectations and your behavior, 
And in this gap, in your mind, you're going to respond in one of only two different ways. Two different things. And it's all up here. It's an instantaneous response. You're either going to believe the best or you're going to assume the worst. Believe the best or assume the worst. So as soon as you get the text where he says, Honey, I can't be home again today on time. Something is going to trigger in here. And you're either going to assume, I mean, believe the best, and you're going to think to yourself, yeah, well, he's got a lot going on right now, and I know he's really busy at work. That's okay. Or you're going to assume the worst, and you're going to think to yourself, ah, there he goes again. Can't be relied upon. Um, I knew he was going to do that. And it's an instant response that we have in our minds. Instantaneous. I know that he said he was going to pay that bill on time. But you know what? He's got so much going on right now. I know he's busy. I know he's under the pump. It's okay. We'll work something out. Or, I knew it. I shouldn't have entrusted him with paying that bill. He's just no good with money. His dad was no good with money. His grandfather was no good with money. Nobody's in his family is good with money. Why should I bother trusting him? And you respond in one of those two ways. You're either going to assume the worst or you're going to believe the best. And the thing is that whatever starts in your mouth begins to grow and grow and grow and grow and eventually starts to impact your actions, the things that come out of your mouth. Now, there are two things that sort of dictate, if you like, what goes in the middle. Either what you see, so the things that actually are taking place. And the second thing is who you are. Who you are as a person. The things, the experiences that have gone in to make up your life that create your response. Maybe it's the hurts that you've had growing up. Maybe it's the rejection that you've had growing up. Maybe it's the things that you've seen that have been unhealthy in your parents' relationship that have filtered down into your experience and your expectations. So how do you respond? What's your response when those things happen, when there, there is a gap between expectations and behavior? How do you respond in your mind straight away when you discover that there's a gap? And um, maybe some of you are thinking right now, well, hang on, hang on a minute. If I could just come up there for a second and just share with you about my spouse and the things that they do, and you can put away this expectations type of thing for one second, and I can tell you a real sermon, I can really preach about my spouse. And I know that everyone has an experience, maybe a negative experience, maybe a sad story to tell. But I, I'm just asking you for the next 10, 15 minutes to reserve your judgment and have a think about what you can do in the gap. You know, if you were to ask anybody who's been married for a long time, not just married perhaps, but still in love after many, many years, they've learnt either automatically or because they've just decided to do it, they've learnt to believe the best in that gap they have chosen to believe the best in their relationship. There is never a zero gap 
in a relationship. There is never no gap. There is always a gap between your expectations and their behavior. There is always a gap. So it's what about what we do with that gap. Now, there was this study done by a guy. He wrote a book. Um, it's called The One Thing You Need to Know. And uh, he quotes a, a study that was done on relationships. So these re- researchers wanted to find out what it was that healthy couples did. And so they wanted to find um, people that had been in loving marriages, relationships for more than 10 years, and they were still going strong, still loving one another. And they came to that, that study with a certain assumption because they, know, they knew that other studies had been done and they looked at um, unhealthy relationships and they knew that you know, couples that have just, where the, the marriage has just dissolved and it just hadn't worked out, they knew that um, certain things were, were broken down. They just didn't engage with one another. They didn't communicate. They didn't understand. And they stopped bothering to try and understand. So they assumed what they discovered was these couples that were so in love just knew one another so intimately. They understood one another so well. However, they discovered something quite different. Rather than knowing one another and understanding one another intimately and so well, and so developing realistic expectations of one another, they found that the couples had a highly unrealistic expectation or view of the other person. In fact, when they asked both of the, the members of the, the, this marriage, the, the two, uh, the guy and the girl, they asked them the same questions, they discovered that they always rated themselves much worse than they rated their spouse in areas that they knew they weren't that good at. So they really rated themselves down. They rated them, their spouse in this wonderful, they painted this wonderful picture, probably better off than they even were. And they discovered this is their finding. A spouse's positive illusion created an upward spiral of love. Their positive illusion, I like that. Their positive illusion created an upward spiral of love. Isn't that what it was like when you first fell in love? That you had a positive illusion about the other person? A positive illusion. So when your friends came along to you and said, um, doesn't it bother you that they're, they don't have a job? And, and you'd be like, oh, but, oh, but his eyes... It's just, ah. And they come along and they say, yeah, but he's so messy. I mean, look at the mess wherever he goes. Yeah, but isn't he so funny? Oh, I love him. His jokes are hilarious. Doesn't it bother you that, you know, there's this giant big lump between their eyes? What? I don't see any lump. I just see love. It's funny, isn't it? We... That saying that love is blind is so true. We gloss over those imperfections and we only see the the beauty. We only see the wonder. So they said this, the illusion created a conviction. The conviction led to security and the security fostered intimacy and the intimacy fostered love. I'll say it again for you, baby. The illusion created a conviction. The conviction led to security. The security fostered intimacy and the intimacy fostered love. 
The husband or wife that assumes that their spouse possesses strengths that he or she does not think they possess will have a strong marriage. That was their conclusion. How crazy is this? It's all a lie. I'll read it again. The illusion created... Oh, sorry, I'll read this bit again. The husband or wife that assumes that their spouse possesses strengths that he or she does not think they possess will have a strong marriage. So they came up with this advice. They said, find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and then believe it. And they gave some examples. She's not impatient. She's just intense. He's not insensitive. He's just focused. They're saying in every relationship, there's this gap between expectations and behavior. But if you choose to put in a generous explanation for that behavior, it's actually going to do wonders and help to develop and build a healthy relationship. So what do you do in this, in this gap? How do you choose the response? Well, that is your decision. It's your choice. You have a choice for how you're going to respond for their inadequacies, for what they do that's not up, up here with your expectations. And is it, isn't that so bad? I mean, there's nobody in here like that. But, you know, isn't it bad when you see both couples have come to the point where they're they're at loggerheads all the time, and all they do for one another is assume the worst. All they're doing for one another is assuming the worst. And, and sure, you get some bragging rights, don't you, when you're, you get to be right all the time. When you assume the worst, you're always right. Because when they fail your expectations, you get to say to yourself, yes, a little quietly, I knew they'd do that. I knew it. And then you can start sharing with your friends and your sister or family members, you know what? I bet that this is not going to happen. They said it, and I bet it's not going to happen. And when it doesn't happen, you're like, see, I was right. I was right again. So, yes, you get to win some points at the cost of your relationship, the cost of the most important relationship of your life. So with that in mind, let's go back to our verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. And these, this word always, it always protects, protects the integrity of the relationship. I'm not looking for an opportunity to put them down. I'm not looking for an opportunity to discover their failure. I'm looking for a way to protect the integrity of the relationship, protect that relationship. It always trusts. It's looking for a generous explanation. It always hopes. I'm hoping that there's a good reason for why this happened. I'm believing. I'm believing. I'm believing for the best. So what's your natural response? And maybe your spouse is the one who's leaning in and giving you grace and believing in you and wanting the best for you, but you don't feel the same way to them. And when you fail, you say, well, you know, no one's perfect. But when they fail, you come down on them so strongly like a ton of bricks for them stuffing out once again. You know, it doesn't matter 
And hear me clearly on this. It doesn't matter how bad that person is, how badly they stuff up, how badly they mess up. But your response makes you a participant in the success or the demise of your relationship. You're not the one and only innocent party. You play a part. You get to play a part and participate in either making it worse or making it better. And here's a, here's a strange thing, but nobody in any relationship, no matter how bad, nobody actually sets out to disappoint their partner. No one thinks to themselves, I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to mess them up and I'm going to let them down. I'm going to hurt them real bad. No one actually wants to disappoint their partner. But when we go negative, we start to communicate this. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you're never going to measure up to my standard. You're never going to get to this point where I need you to be. And what happens as a consequence of that is not acceptance, but you start pushing that person further and further away. In your mind, you're just thinking to yourself, all I really need you to do is what I'm asking you to do. If you only just did what I asked you to do, everyone would be happy. Everyone would be fine. You just keep performing. You just keep doing what I say, doing what I ask, performing. Come on, come on, this way, over here. Do expectations, over here, come on. Keep performing and I'll be fine with that. But that's not how we, dis- it's not how we decrease disappointments in a relationship. It's not how it works. It's not how we're wired to respond. It is so powerful when you start to believe the best from your spouse or for your spouse in a relationship. And you know what you're doing? You're actually creating margin. You're creating margin for them. If you're continually uh, assuming the worst, then what happens is that person starts to become afraid of you. They're afraid that, oh, I'm going to get home and I'm going to get a mouthful. I'm going to get blasted because I've done it wrong again. I've done it wrong again and I'm not good enough. What, can you see how that begins to fragment and destroy a relationship? But when you believe the best, you're actually communicating, I trust you. You're saying, I accept you. You're saying, you have not disappointed me. You have not disappointed me. So when you get the text, or when you get the call, say, sorry, I'm going to be home late again. Instead of responding with some kind of disappointment, you give margin. You give margin. So you can say, okay, that's fine. Get home when you, when, when you can. When they forget to pay the bill, instead of coming down on them saying, you've messed up again, you can give them margin. You can say... It's okay. We'll work it out together. And look, that might sound a little unrealistic to you. And I'm not saying that uh, we don't have proper confrontations, healthy confrontations from time to time, healthy discussions from time to time. But after that, we extend grace. We extend margin to the other person. You know, our hearts are hardwired 
to love environments of acceptance. We love that. We're drawn to that. We are drawn that way. That's the way that God made us to be. We, we're not drawn to being told that we've messed up again. We're not drawn to that. We shy away from that. And you might, sure, you might get that other person to do the right thing. But what happens in their heart, it, it withdraws. It doesn't want to be there. But we are drawn naturally into an environment of acceptance. So couples who have been together, who are in love for many, many years, have decided that in that gap they're going to believe the best of their partner. Jesus said in Luke 6, 31, the famous verse, Do to others as you would have them do to you. So many of us, we grow up with, do to others as they've done to me. You do good to me, I'll do good to you back. But if you don't, watch out. But Jesus is asking us to make a different kind of a choice. And the choice begins in your mind. The choice begins up here. An instantaneous response. What am I going to do? Am I going to give margin, extend margin? Am I going to believe the best or am I going to assume the worst? And they're the two decisions that we make whenever we discover that there's a gap. Guys, this is so critical. It is so crucial for your relationship to remain healthy. And I believe, like I said earlier, the very best for each and every relationship that's in this room today. I believe that God has a plan of redemption. He really does. And it's not just for you guys. It's not just for your relationship. It's not just for the sake of your marriage. It's not just for that. Sure, that on its own is a wonderful reason. It's also so important for your children or for your future children because they're going to grow up in, in an environment where they are modeled to what a marriage is. And they, will, they won't be told, but they'll just assume that whatever your parents, however your parents behave, is normal. And they'll take those cues, no matter how you tell them, don't do this, don't do that, they'll take their cues from you and they'll grow up. If you can model to them a healthy relationship, then you're building into the next generation. Not only that, there's one other reason, and that is you... You living a healthy marriage, living out a healthy marriage, has a massive impact on the society around you. Huge impact. It's one of the biggest testimonies you can have as a Christian that makes you stand out from the world around you. Because people can look at you at the, and the way that you behave toward one another, and it will and it should be different from the rest of the world. And you then have an opportunity to share with them the reason why. Because people will ask you, what's your secret? How come you guys have such a strong and healthy... How, how can you still be in love after all these years? They do ask. They've asked me many times. They will ask why. And you have a, an opportunity to share with them the faith that you have in Christ. And it's not because we think that we're better. It's actually because we know that we're not. We know that we're not better. We know that we're messed up. But we know that we need a saviour. We know that we need somebody to guide us and to help us and to do things successfully. So I want to encourage all of you today. You have a choice. 
your marriage, the success of your marriage is partly your responsibility. You have an option to make it better. And like I said, no matter how hard it might seem, you get to make a choice. 